Okay, it is Monday, April 13th, and it's been a while, but here are the numbers. The last time I did the numbers, the last time I wrote them down, um, because sometimes I write them down and I don't record, but let's compare it to March 31st, so just about two weeks ago. Um, The total number of confirmed cases globally, we are now at... 2,019,320. That is a 135% increase. In the U.S., we're at 577,842. That is a 207% increase. With Canada, we're at 25,551. That is a 200% increase, and with New York City, even though I'm not there right now, uh, maintaining that update, and uh, they now are at a total number of confirmed cases, uh, 106,813, and that is an increase of 156%. So over the last two weeks, numbers quite significantly increasing by the lowest being 135% globally to the highest being America 207%. So the virus feels obviously like it is still continuing to, to grow in numbers, at least in these particular regions of the world, uh, obviously contributing to the global numbers. Um, yeah, so those are the numbers for today. Monday, April 13th. All right, so a few different news stories that I've picked out to talk about. Um, New York State has now has more cases than any single country outside of the U.S., but today Governor Andrew Cuomo said that this might be the apex Uh, If New Yorkers continue to stay home and practice social distancing, um, we could continue to see a plateau or soon enough a decline in the number of cases and in the number of people being admitted to hospitals. So um, he does say that that's very much dependent on the behavior of people within New York State. Um, And so the importance of staying home and practicing social distancing, um, just a day or two of changed behavior could result in increasing the number of cases. So that's really, really important that New Yorkers continue to um, stay home and social distance. Um, In terms of New York news, I haven't really done a news story um, overview, so I just wanted to talk about something that I saw last week that I'm sure a lot of people saw last week was the horrific and unbelievable footage of the mass graves on Hart Island in the Bronx of New York City. Um, This past summer, I actually biked out to uh, sort of the end of the Bronx, if you will, uh, and could see Hart Island. And uh, a friend of mine that's from that area was explaining that that island is usually used for burying individuals with no next of kin. So like the Jane Doe's of New York. 
um, or individuals whose whose families could not afford um, burials or cremations, and uh, and often what they'll what they'll have is they'll have prisoners go out to that island to bury those bodies, um, and uh, that's on Heart Island, and now that was being used last week uh, to bury uh, bodies from uh, bodies of coronavirus victims. Um, from an international perspective, I, I, this, this really, uh, was really hard to, to think about. Um, I know a lot of us are thinking around, you know, other people's scenarios and helping to put our own into perspective and remind ourselves to be grateful for the things that we do have. And, and this story really did that for me, um, I was reading that thousands of migrant workers have been leaving India's largest capital cities by foot to return home. So because of lockdowns in India, they're out of jobs or out of work, they can no longer afford to be in the cities, but there's also no major public transportation to help them get them back to their hometown. So there are thousands of individuals that are walking hundreds of miles just to get home and in this article that i read uh this one woman was had i think like 600 more miles to go and her sandals had broken so she was doing it barefoot just um i don't know it just feels unbelievable but that was a little bit um of what was happening in india over the last two weeks um i was reading today in the guardian that Spain, Austria, Italy, China, possibly Germany, and parts of the U.S. will this week begin, however, hesitantly, the great return to work. So as others are holding back, and some may even be toughening lockdowns, uh, this article was saying that the result will be the most extraordinary mass experiment in history. Hundreds of thousands of non-essential employees in Spain have returned to work today um, as European countries grapple with the question of when lockdown restrictions should be eased amid fears of a renewed spike in the coronavirus pandemic. Um, And we're starting to hear now a lot about this idea of when to reopen the economy. This has obviously been a question since the beginning, but now that things feel like they've been shut down for, you know, about five weeks or so, uh, the question becomes more and more important because people are out of work for longer and longer and more issues start to develop with that. It's not, it's no longer just a public health crisis as it is an economical crisis and and um, they both need to be taken very, very seriously. But this idea of reopening economies, um, one thing that's important to keep in mind is, um, I believe it was today, we're starting to hear of the second wave of this virus that we've been warned about. We're starting to hear about this second wave starting to happen. Um, The New York Post says that more than 100 South Koreans who fully recovered from coronavirus have now tested positive for a second time. As the country eyes on easing of social distancing rules, officials said that the killer virus has reactivated in a total of 116 patients. So could this be the beginning of this second wave that we've been hearing about? Perhaps. Um, Interesting to hear that it's people that had gotten the virus, had fully recovered, and now seem to be getting it again.
Um, Joe Biden, in an opinion piece in the New York Times, said, an effective plan to beat the virus is the ultimate answer to how we get our economy back on track. So we should stop thinking of the health and economic responses as separate. Reopening the economy will largely be determined by accessibility of widespread testing. And um, that is not shocking. Um, We've been hearing a lot about the fact that the economy can't really safely reopen until we have a sense of who has this and who doesn't and how how can we in a sense control further spread. Um, And that leads me to what I think we're all going to start hearing about more and more um, over the coming weeks, which is this idea of an immunity passport. So if there are tests that can prove that you have immunity to COVID-19, then you can return to regular everyday work. And this idea of an immunity passport, which a lot of experts are thinking will be digital, So what does that mean? Is it possibly an app on your phone? Is it a wearable that tracks your your health? I'm not really sure. My understanding of it is that you would need to be tested for the antibodies and be proven that you have immunity to COVID-19. And only then you would get this immunity passport and be able to sort of carry on and go back to work because then you're not... Um, you know, from what people believe, then you wouldn't be at risk of, of infecting anyone else. Um, and, and the last thing is I read this fascinating article in the New York Times where they had these five different experts weighing in on the question of reopening the economy will cost people their lives. So how do, how do we decide when to do that? Um, and one interesting sort of perspective was that Instead of looking at um, the death toll, um, specifically through the number of lives lost, instead starting to look at it through the number of life years lost. Uh, This one expert was saying that the average number of life years lost within Italy, because the uh, average age um, of of death in Italy from coronavirus, it was uh, quite old. Um, The average number of life years lost within Italy was about three years. Um, So talking about the idea of if we are keeping the economy closed and we're keeping young people out of school and we are increasing uh, rates of poverty and joblessness for younger people, does that lead to more life years lost um, by deciding to keep the economy closed for a longer period of time? Lots of very complex things here. I personally, even recording all of this, feel uh, a bit, not necessarily confused, but it's like each of these things that I've said, I feel like can be and are multiple very lengthy articles. But I just wanted to give a recap of some of the main sort of like headlines and news stories and topics of conversation that are happening now and ones that I believe we will be hearing more and more about, especially when it comes to this idea of immunity passports um, in the news currently. All right, it's uh, Monday, April 13th, and those are some of the headlines and top stories. So, um, how I'm feeling. Uh, last week was extremely difficult. I mean, I haven't really made any of these podcast episodes in, like, pretty much two weeks. Well, I guess that's not entirely true. Like I did, I did do two episodes last week, 
Um, I have found this project of deciding to document this to be equally um, therapeutic in the sense that it is a creative release for me to be documenting you know, what I'm hearing about, what I'm learning about, but also how I'm feeling throughout this. So from a, a creative output, I do feel, especially in these like how I feel sections, um, it feels like really artistic and it feels like a, a creative outlet, which I wasn't anticipating when I started making these, but that is um, that is how it feels. But equally at the same time, I just... I've been putting this like insane pressure on myself um, in regards to, I think at first having this expectation that, oh, I'm going to do this like once a day. And then when I did decide to come back home feeling like, well, what's the point? Why would anyone even like care to hear about my experience when I'm not in New York and I'm not in the epicenter of this? But Um, as I sort of was talking about in a recent episode, like this does start to feel, or it has started to feel like this is, um, this is like more of a, of a mental health diary and journal. And, um, last week for me and this weekend, right up until last night, uh, was very dark and difficult for me. And I was speaking to my therapist last week and she said that, um, I'm displaying most of the signs of depression and I, I, I was talking to her about it and, um, she was explaining to me that it's likely situational depression, which I'm sure a lot of us can relate to in one way or another right now. And one thing that I didn't understand is that I knew that clinical depression meant that there is some sort of chemical imbalance in your brain that you take antidepressants for to uh, restore that balance and making you feel better. Similar to if you, you know, um, were sick and you needed antibiotics or you broke a bone and you needed a cast, you need that sort of medicine or medical attention to help you get better. So I always understood that from a clinical depression point of view. I never knew that situational depression, or from what I read online, adjustment disorder, when you go through something really tough, also creates that same chemical imbalance in your brain. I didn't realize that. And from talking with my therapist, she told me that that is quite likely what I am experiencing. Um, And last week, I would say I felt the I felt the uh, ability to get up, brush my teeth, have a shower, get through the workday, which was crazy difficult. Working was so difficult last week. I just felt mentally like I was underwater. And I felt like all I wanted to do was sleep. I just wanted to get up and go back to bed. Like all I wanted to do was be asleep. And this weekend I slept a lot. And, um, you know, I'm kind of nervous to say what I'm about to say, but I think we need to be having these conversations more and more to help people feel more okay with doing what it is that I'm going to be doing. And, um, 
I've made the decision to start taking antidepressants. And I do not feel shame around this because I have had serious health issues in the past. I got in a bad accident two years ago and I needed to have a cast. I needed to have painkillers. I needed to have these things to help me get better. And right now, although the injury that I'm experiencing or the the medical issue that I'm facing is not visible, I still need that help. And so I've done a lot of research. I've spoken with my therapist, with my doctors, and I made the decision that tomorrow I'm going to start taking antidepressants. And last night when I made that decision, I felt the most hopeful that I have felt in months. And today I felt pretty good. And it also makes me feel like, oh, I'm feeling kind of good today. Like maybe I actually don't need to do do this. Maybe I don't need to go through with this. Maybe I can fix this on my own. But I, I just, I feel like I need this help because the way that I felt that I have been feeling, the way that I felt last week, the way that I felt this weekend was so dark and was so depressing was so awful that I've just been feeling this feeling of hopelessness that I'm never going to feel back to myself again and then weirdly I feel like pretty okay today and it makes me feel like oh well maybe I don't need to take this but from talking with a lot of people in my life that I love that also take antidepressants they've all said the same thing which is it comes in waves and I worry that if I continue on without this sort of support and help that I I will just go back to feeling how awful I've been feeling so that's a decision that I've made and I'm scared about it because there are definitely a list of side effects that come with these drugs and I hope that they don't end up making me feel worse because of different things but um yeah that's yeah, that's it. That's the decision that, that I made. And I'm going to start taking those tomorrow. And I, yeah, part of me like kind of can't believe it. But at the same time, I've, I've been thinking about the last few years, and I've gone through some really challenging things, whether it be challenges uh, in my, in my work world of things, personal life, the accident I got into, uh, relocating to New York by myself. I mean, moving to New York on its own is really tough doing it by yourself even harder and then I was never really looking to move to New York so when everyone would ask me oh are you like are you so excited have you always wanted to live in New York has it always been your dream I was like no it actually hasn't but I'm doing it and uh because from a career perspective that's what made sense at the time and um it's been a very very hard year and a half and I look back at the the days where I have definitely been facing some very serious depression within all of those experiences, and I wonder if I had just sought out this help in the form of antidepressants, if I could have had the support that I needed and not had to just do it on my own. And so one thing that I love that my doctor said to me today, she said, I just want to remind you, you know, when you fill this prescription, when you start to take this tomorrow, that this is not because you are less than, this is not because you failed, this isn't because you're weak, 
you're going through something right now and you need this support to help you get through it. And that meant a lot to me that she said that. So, I mean, I, I don't really know. I know a few people that listen to this. I don't really know everyone that listens to this. Um, so it feels very strange to be putting out such a personal thing out there, but I think the same way that when I broke my arm, I had this very visible cast and it's like, I need this thing to help me get better. Why not put it out there that this is what I'm about to do and go through? I think we talk about the importance of ending the stigma around mental health because it's something that you can't see. But how do we end the stigma if we're not talking about it and we're not normalizing it and we're not letting people know that someone that looks just like us or works right beside us or that we're friends with that maybe we didn't even know was going through something like this or or wasn't or we didn't know that they were taking something to help them? How does that ever if if it's kept a secret if it's if it's if it's bottled up how do how do people feel more empowered to get that same help for themselves? So I'm putting it out there and I'm sharing that that is, that's what I've decided to do. And I really hope that it helps me through this next bit of time, because, um, as we know, this is, this is going to be going on for a while. When this first started to get very serious, what we were hearing was, you know, 18 months, 18 months of these cycles of social distancing and uh, shelter in place and lockdowns as the world works towards um, testing and antibody testing and building of a vaccine. We are going through something that we have never gone through before, and I need help to get through it. And so I am going to get that help starting tomorrow morning. Um, yeah. And I also have been trying to do more meditation, and I've been doing this Deepak Chopra, um, Oprah Winfrey, like, free 20-day medica- med- meditation, and, um, It's all about the strength of hope and the power of hope. And that hope is not this thing that you just, you know, wish to land in your lap one day and boom, you're hopeful. Look at that. Hope is now here. It's actually something that you have to choose and you have to lean into. And this decision to uh, go on medication to help me through this has resulted in me feeling the most hopeful that I have felt in months. And so I, I hope, I am hopeful that it will continue, that it'll help me in my healing. Um, yeah, and if any of you are listening to this and considering the same for yourself um, and you know how to reach me and get in touch with me, please feel free to do that. I'm happy to talk to you about this. Um, all right, well, yeah, so it's Monday, April 13th. Um, And thank you for listening and joining me on my own version of this journey through something that we're all going through together. All right. Thanks.